Welcome everyone to Sunday service at Ananda Village. Warm welcome to those of you who are in programs here at the Expanding Light Retreat. And we send a special blessing out today to all those who are fathers. It's Father's Day, so bless you and all the men who reflect the consciousness of a divine father in our world with us. Today's reading from Rays of the One Light, The Eternal Now. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. When will I find thee, God? Many devotees have asked this question because worldly goals require time, usually for their fulfillment. We imagine time to be a factor on the spiritual path. And so it is, but only because we think it is. God is as much with us now as he will ever be. It is not he who needs to come to us. We need to come to him. And that process of coming is a matter of transforming our self-perception. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter 4, Jesus Christ says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. There is a practical teaching in these words. Apart from their statement that we have God already and have only to realize that truth, Jesus is saying, lift up your eyes and look. To hold the eyes uplifted is the best position for meditation. For the seat of superconsciousness lies at the point midway between the eyebrows, in the frontal lobe of the brain, just behind that point. This point is known also as the Christ center. By lifting up your eyes and concentrating there, you will find it easier to enter the state of ecstasy. That is why saints in every religion have often been observed during states of deep inner communion with their eyes uplifted, focused on the inner light, white, as Jesus said, all ready to harvest. The Bhagavad Gita goes further into this meditative teaching. In the sixth chapter, it states, holding the spine firm, the neck, and head erect and motionless, let the yogi focus his eyes at the starting place of the nose, the point between the eyebrows. Let not his gaze roam elsewhere. In meditation, tell yourself, I have him already. I am alive forever in the divine light. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. also like to welcome everybody today. I'm Nayaswami Divarshi, and this is a reading from Whispers from Eternity by Paramhansa Yogananda. Demand for the opening of the spiritual eye to find God in everything. My eyes are enthralled, O Father, with the beauty of earthly flowers, with life's passing scenes, and with the sailing silent clouds. Everywhere, All I see hints at thy hidden presence. Open that eye in me which sees only thee. With that gaze, 
May I behold thee above, beneath, all around, within, and outside me. Teach me in all things to see only thee. Open in me that eye which beholds everywhere thy hidden but ever subtly reigning wonder. And there's a note after this by Swami Kriyananda. He says, This demand especially should be repeated mentally with deep concentration until the prayer thought becomes fixed in your superconscious by the conviction born of deep faith. This reading today touches on the very deep science of yoga by just touching on one aspect of it. And the science of yoga is not something that is just a belief and a dogma. It's something that is universally true that people of every faith and religion experience. And the great saints and masters have given this to us from their own discovery of these truths as a way of helping us to go back to God. And again, you see in all religions this idea of the spiritual eye. I, uh, early this, earlier this week, I was in Argentina uh, doing a Ananda trip, visiting our meditation groups. And we visited a convent that had a retreat center, and we were just enjoying the grounds. And it was started by a very saintly person who was probably a saint, although the Catholic Church didn't recognize him as much right now. But his movement had a logo that you saw everywhere, and it was the spiritual eye. It was the single eye, high up, always above the altar at the highest point, above everything else, with rays coming out of it. This is a universal truth and universal teaching. People discover it on their own. We also, the, my last couple of days in Argentina, I was staying in the home of a family. And they had an adorable three-year-old daughter. And we were all having our meal together. And just out of the blue, with no context, she pointed to my blue shirt, which was a little deeper than this color. And with about as much authority as an adorable three-year-old can say, she said in Spanish, that's the color of God. And I believed her when she said it. <laughs> and I don't know whether she was talking about the blue of the spiritual eye, which for many is the predominant color they see when they see the spiritual eye, or whether she was talking about uh, great saints and avatars and masters are very often depicted as having a blue aura. In fact, Krishna, whenever he's painted, his skin is always blue. And Swami Kriyananda says, well, his skin probably wasn't blue, but he had such a, a strong blue aura. And so the obvious thing, which wasn't so obvious to me, was to ask all these follow-up questions of this little girl. But <laughs> I, I think she also knew some Jedi mind control tricks. <clears throat> because none of the adults, myself or her parents, thought even to ask all these great follow-up questions. There was one question, though, and I'll talk about later, that when I was meditating on it, I realized was the, really the only important question. And the answer was also staring us right in the face. But the science of yoga, people don't often appreciate the way that Paramhansa Yogananda presented it to us because he presented this science with the deepest mystical teachings, but also combined with all the attitudes of the great saints of devotion, of deep yearning for God. And it's the combination of these things that really is the power behind the path of Kriya Yoga, what we practice here at Ananda. Because when we follow this science, the way that it's given to us, 
As Swami Kriyananda puts it one time, or many times over the years, but more recently as he's writing about this subject, he says the science of yoga and all the practices that we do, he says what we're doing is that we're cooperating with divine grace. And it's really very, very simple. We are cooperating with divine grace. By techniques alone, you can't get to God. And very often, just through devotion and practices like that, we get too restless and it becomes just caught up in emotion and it's very difficult to get there. And an analogy that Swami Kriyananda uses, he says that if you have a visitor coming for dinner, and let's take it further and imagine this visitor is Christ or Yogananda coming for dinner, he said you don't sort of go to the back door and kind of hunch over and wait for them, hoping that maybe you'll hear their knock on the front door. No, you go to the front door with anticipation, with expectation, you open the front door and you await their coming. And when they come, you greet them and you invite them in. And that's really very simply describes why we look up at the spiritual eye. If saints throughout all religions, and you see this in many religions, Christianity, Hinduism, when you see saints in ecstasy, as the reading said, you see them looking upward. And that's where saints are looking when God comes to them. And if all the saints of all religions were looking over their left shoulder whenever they were in ecstasy, that's where we'd be looking when we meditated. (laughs) Luckily, it's not where God comes, but it's up here. And so we look upward with devotion, with yearning, but also with this deep understanding of the science, the universal science. You could call it the science of yoga, but really it's the science of human nature, and it's a pathway, a roadmap on how to get out. And all we're doing is we're cooperating with these inner realities. Another way to look at this cooperation with grace is a surfer. They go out to where the waves are. They don't go into the swimming pool or somewhere else. They go out to where the waves are coming in. And they study the waves and they know where the waves are coming. And then they wait with expectation again for the large wave to come in. And when the wave comes, they also even go a further step of cooperating with it by paddling and swimming in front of the wave and getting up to speed. And then they catch this wave of divine grace. And that's how the surfer finds divine freedom is by catching that wave. And this is what meditation is all about. The techniques of meditation are simply very simple tools to catch that divine wave. And more important or as important as those tools, again, is the attitude with which we do these things. I had a, an experience, which I've shared before, but I'll share it again because it's so apt to the subject today. But we have a, a men's three-hour Kriya meditation every Thursday night here at Ananda Village for the last many, many years now. And it was a Thursday, and I was very, very busy, and it was very difficult for me to get there. And I was dragging my feet. I was resisting going, and I was restless and thought, well, this is going to be a difficult meditation tonight and I didn't want to do it and as I was walking down the hill towards the, the shrine where we meditate I heard a voice and it was a very very clear loud voice and I think it was the voice of my conscience it wasn't the voice of God <laughs> booming to me but it was a very very clear and very specific guidance and that voice just said with eagerness with anticipation with expectation it said this could be the night and I knew what it meant I knew it meant that this could be the night that I go into final freedom in God, never to be separated from God again. And so I listened to that guidance and that advice, and I went 
I meditated and with that expectation. And you know, I'll go to the end of the story very quickly, but it wasn't the night that I found final freedom <laughs> in God. But in fact, I had a very beautiful, deep, wonderful meditation, simply because I combined the techniques of Kriya that we practice, the techniques of meditation, with this anticipation and expectation that this could be the night. And God is going to come to us inevitably at some point. It can be at any time. If we have that attitude, again, combined with these techniques, it will come very, very quickly. We'll be able to say sooner or later, I have him, I have him. Regarding this combination of technique, science, and how we do these things, Swami Kriyananda gives some wonderful advice about seeing the spiritual eye. Because I noticed, uh, I talked to many people and counsel them about meditation and these things that we do. And it's not uncommon for someone to say that when they meditate and try to see the spiritual eye, all that happens is that they get a headache from doing it. And what happens and the cause of it is, is that they're doing it too intellectually. They're doing it with willpower. They're trying to sort of knit their eyebrows and they look just really intensely enough, they'll force the spiritual eye to come out of the darkness or something. I don't know what the psychology is. But Swami Kriyananda advises one, look with a sense of relaxation, look with a sense of joy. He says also don't try, people try too hard is what happens and they get tense and they get a headache. He says don't try too hard, just offer yourself up to the light there, offer yourself up to that point with a sense of self-offering and devotion. And with that attitude, inevitably your intuition is awakened and your ability to either see or feel the spiritual eye and to go out and offer ourselves into the light of God there inevitably comes. There's another attitude, which is very, very helpful. And again, this comes to this little girl that I was listening to, and now that we know the color of God, she, the next morning I was meditating on it, and I realized, well, the only real question to ask her is, how? How do you see God, specifically in her case? And the answer in her case was staring us right in the face. She was a child, three-year-old, without any intellectual baggage and without any cynicism or anything, just with childlike enthusiasm, reverence, and childlike awe. And that was the answer to the question, is that meditate and practice these things as a child with this childlike innocence, anticipation. It's interesting that there are, throughout history, there have been many, many times when children have an experience in a vision of the Divine Mother. There's one happening in Yugoslavia not too long ago, and time and time again, and it's always children that have this vision of the Virgin Mary as the Divine Mother. And why is that? Well, adults start thinking, well, geez, I don't want to meditate, or I'm not going to do it tonight, or it's going to be hard. And children have this anticipation and this voice saying, this could be the night. There's no, nothing negative trying to just squelch this eagerness and this enthusiasm. So bring a very, very childlike anticipation to every meditation. And how do children do it? As Christ said, suffer little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And watch how children pray, watch how they meditate. There is no intellectual stuff. And get rid of, I think people on the, the spiritual path make things way too complicated. They read the science of yoga and 
there's this channel and that channel and there's this and this philosophy and you get weighted down by a lot of baggage. And just look at a child. There is no intellectual baggage. There's just this freedom and joy and innocence. And when you practice meditation with that attitude, you'll find that you get results much, much more quickly than with this very adult scientific attitude of thinking that we know so much. Oops. I think this is actually why Yogananda had us praying to God as the Heavenly Father and the Divine Mother. Because when you think about it, God, of course, is Father and Mother, but it's not limited to that. God is infinite. God is everything in this universe. Why did he have us pray in that way and, or recommend it to many people? God's not going to be changed by that prayer and suddenly become just the Heavenly Father and the Divine Mother. What it does do is it changes us because by relating to God in that way, we become a divine child and we have that childlike attitude. So pray, as Master said, pray as a child. He said, pray crying to God, wake up God or cry like a baby who's not going to be happy with all the playthings and the toys that are given to it until God comes to you. And again, as your divine birthright, he said, he called us prayers, prayer demands because it's our birthright to have God, and children have that sense of entitlement in a good way, and they, they demand uh, candy or they demand their parents or whatever come to them because there's no limitation in their mind. They are one with the universe, they are one with their father and their mother, and there's this childlike simplicity, awe, and reverence, and bring that into your meditation practice. You'll find that the science of meditation, the science of religion, as Yogananda taught it, and as other great masters have taught it. But really, what I saw Yogananda do with this, and I've seen other churches and other practices, he taught this great science of Kriya Yoga, the science of meditation, and yet he was more of a bhakti yogi, a lover of God, and he brought these two things together. And when you bring them in that way, there truly is an extraordinary power in that combination that is really rare. Many churches emphasize the, the discipline and the science and positive thinking. Some overemphasize divine grace and think that it's only through grace. We don't have to do anything ourselves, just be born again and saved. And yet Yogananda brought these two together in a way that if we follow it the way that he practiced it, just in the sense of attitude, you don't have to follow Yogananda's teachings, you'll find great, great, and even extraordinary results. I had an experience in my early years at Ananda. We had a, a monastery here, and I was one of the monks, and we had a very, very strong daily meditation practice. We meditated a few hours every day. Every Saturday morning, we would do a five-hour meditation. There was a lot of opportunity to practice these techniques, to look at the spiritual eye, to practice Kriya Yoga. And I went through a very, very long spell in spite of all that practice, of not getting any results in meditation. Meditation was very, very dry. It was very difficult. I joke sometimes that I might as well have brought a newspaper in there to read because I could have learned something anyways. <laughs> this was before the internet, so my laptop is, would, have, would have probably come in there with me. But because I had this strong environment and satsang and support, I continued. And this went on for two or three years where it was that difficult.
Finally, one day, I was meditating, and I just had this thought, okay, if I'm not getting anything from it, at least I can give to God when I meditate. And I just said, I love you, Divine Mother, when I meditated. And what tiny little bit of love that I felt, I gave it all to God. And you know, almost instantly, that whole thing turned around, where suddenly meditation became enjoyable. And I was starting to feel God's presence more and more. I was starting to feel divine joy to some extent. And it was purely because my approach and attitude had changed. And so you see, as Yogananda said, techniques alone cannot get us to God. It also requires right attitudes. It also requires selflessness, devotion. And when you practice from now on, practice meditation, always be looking at yourself to see what part of that combination of science and technique plus devotion, yearning, and simplicity, which part of that formula is missing. And you'll find that if you really watch yourself and really work at developing both of them and merging them together, that before too long, you'll be able to say in little glimmers maybe, but finally and eventually, you'll be able to say completely and all the time, I have him, I have him, I have God. That's the promise that the great masters have given us with the science of religion and with these attitudes. And you'll find, as Yogananda said, that God will come and does come with divine inevitability to the sincere devotee who practices these things. So a joy to you, blessings to you on all of your practices.